Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons. I'm Bill Arnold. What does it mean to walk by faith? Seems like uh, those are kind of simple words. Pretty easy to understand those words, but maybe a little bit more difficult to understand what the assignment is. What does it mean to walk by faith? We're going to talk about today with my friend and Bible teacher and mentor, Jeff Verdorn. You know Jeff. He's a regular on the show and awfully glad to have him uh, back on the program today. Jeff, welcome. Hi, Bill. How are you? I'm doing good. I know you're uh, in Arizona, so... uh, as a guy who lives in Minnesota, we're getting 25 below next week, so I hope you I did got... hear that, but I wasn't going to bring that up, just for the record. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out a way to get invited to Arizona. you got to have extra room there. <laughs> Open invitation. Oh, how nice. All right, let's talk about walking by faith today. I'm looking forward to this. I do. I want this to be kind of a practical discussion of what it really means to uh, to walk by faith, to live by faith. After all, Scripture says the righteous shall live by faith, right? Mm-hmm. So I think most I, I think most Christians understand that we're saved by faith, right? And we mm-hmm. kind of get the concept that it's by faith alone and Christ alone. And uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says it's, it's uh, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself, this gift of God. It's not by work so that no one can boast. And I think people understand that. I can't work my way to heaven. I can't give my way to heaven. I have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to get saved. And I think we also know that the consequences of not having faith, right? Uh, Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Wow. Uh, So if you don't have faith, you cannot please God, right? Mm Mm-hmm. In fact, it's the, the the story of the vine and the branches, one of my favorite story in John 15, where at the end of this um, kind of narrative of we are the branches, he is the true vine, and we abide in him, and then we bear fruit as we abide in him, it describes what happens to those branches that are not connected to the vine. Well, verse 6 tells us what happens to those branches. They're gathered up and burned, right? So without faith... Uh, you know, you're a branch that's not connected to the vine and you're gathered up and burned. So on this whole salvation thing, I think Christians really understand, uh, you know, basically, one of my favorite stories, by the way, in Luke 16, it it makes this very, very clear, right, how how we're saved. I mean, you know, this question of, you know, well, how are we saved is actually someone asks, what shall I do then to be saved? And it's in Acts 16 when if you recall, Paul and Silas are imprisoned. Uh, I think they're in Philippi, imprisoned in Philippi. And while they're in prison, they're singing, they're worshiping, they're praying. And it says that everybody was listening to them. So everybody was hearing this, you know, because this concept of rejoicing when you're in prison, right? That's that's would be <laughs> my first response. Mm-hmm. But they're singing songs, worshiping, and everybody's listening. Well, there's an earthquake that comes. And it breaks open all the doors and all the chains fall off and the jailer rushes in and he's about to kill himself. Well, why would he draw his sword and kill himself? Well, because the penalty 
for letting your prisoners escape would be death in the Roman world. So he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, no, 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 we're still all here. We're all here. And then the jailer, who obviously was listening that whole night to all these prayers and worships and stuff, asked this very core question. Sir, what must I do to be saved? And Paul replies, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So that word believe, actually we'll look at both of these words, believe and faith. If you know one Greek word, Bill, I've told, I've, we've talked about this oh, yeah. before. The Greek word for believe is pistuio. The Greek word for faith is pistis. They have the same Greek root word. And it basically means to believe something's true and to entrust for salvation. So if you believe, you are saved. If you have faith, you are saved. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. All right? Mm -hmm. So, but God also says, so we get the whole saved by faith. So I wanted to make that clear right up front. But then Paul says multiple times, the righteous shall live by faith. We live by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians says. My righteous shall live by faith. Now, this living by faith, well, I think this is a little more nebulous now, isn't it? Yeah, the stakes just got higher. They, well, a little bit did. higher. A little bit higher. They're I mean, well, high. salvation is a big stake. That's a big stake, yeah. I take back everything <laughs> I just said. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's now how do we live? What I mean is, is that we... I think understanding salvation by faith is relatively straightforward. I think yes, Christians get that. I don't think we get this concept of living by faith. What does that mean? What, is that, what does that look like? And I think that because this is so nebulous, um, because it's, you know, how, how do I live by faith? What does that look like? I think we tend to turn Christianity into kind of a rules-based religious system. Because we don't understand what living by faith really means, we just simply default back to, well, just give me the do's and give me the don'ts, and that's how I'll live, right? Well, is that what Christianity, living the Christian life is all about, just kind of following the do's and not doing the don'ts? And I remember uh, somebody used to tell me they grew up and it was very clear, don't drink, don't smoke, and don't go with girls who do, mm -hmm. right? And those were the rules. But Paul actually says in Colossians chapter 2, I want to read this. He says this, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of the world, why as though do you still belong to it? Do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom, but they lack any value in restraining the sensual indulgences. So the rules do not restrain us, Paul says. In fact, in Romans 7, he says that, I do not know what sin was had it not been for the law. For, what I, for I would not have known what coveting really was if not the law had said you should not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every covetous desire. So the law pointed out what coveting was, but then produced in him every covetous desire. Isn't that interesting um, when we try to live by the rules? Mm -hmm. 
I love these examples. So I got a couple examples for this. If you're walking, you're in a downtown area and there's a construction site. And a lot of times they'll put one of those, you know, construction fences or walls up around the construction site. And if there was a hole in the middle of this wall and you stood there and a thousand people could walk by, and I don't know, a few people would probably stop and look through the hole, but not that many, I'm guessing. But now put a sign above that hole that says, do not look through this hole. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Now a thousand people walk by. What do you think? A lot are going to stop and try to look in the hole. A lot what am I missing? Yeah. What exactly. don't you want me to see? So, and because the command says, don't look through this hole, it stirs up, Paul says, every desire to look through the hole. I, uh, in fact, last year I was down at my parents' house. My little nephew was standing next to me. And I think we were getting ready for dinner or something. And there was this little box on the table. And I was teaching this class that I do called Law v. Grace, Law versus Grace. And we kind of cover a lot of these concepts in that class. And I opened up the lid to this box and it was empty. And I closed the lid and I turned to my nephew. Whatever you do, don't look into that box. Well, he couldn't help himself. <laughs> he, he literally, and he's getting a little bit bigger now, was pushing me. I mean, I had to physically restrain him with all my, all my might for about 15 seconds until I finally gave in. I said, I told you, don't look at the box. And he had to go over there and look in the box. That's what rules do to us. It's the hole in the fence. Mm -hmm. Now, before we knock all of the rules and the laws and the commandments and so on, remember, Israel lived under the law, right? The law was given to Israel. They were to do what the law says. There were something like 600 unique individual laws given to Israel. It set them apart. But we also know that the law never saved anyone, right? Romans mm -hmm. says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. And the law was put in effect, Paul says in Galatians, was put in effect until the seed to whom it referred to had come. So the law was in effect until the time of the seed, who is the Christ, by the way, would come. And so Paul says that the law was just a shadow of things to come, and Christ came to end the law, telos, to end it, to conclude it, to bring it to finality. So Christ is the end of the law that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Ah, pistuyo, once again. Mm -hmm. So are believers under that Old Testament law? No. Paul says it over and over again that we are not under the law, but we're under grace. He says we have been released from the law and the written code. He says, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those that are under the law. I mean, over and over, Paul says that he's not under the law. In fact, he says in Romans uh, chapter, end of chapter uh, three and chapter eight someplace, he says that, do we nullify the law by this faith? No, we actually uphold the law, that the righteous requirements of the law have been fully met in us. That means that now when God looks at a believer in Christ Jesus, all of the law has been fulfilled in us. He now sees you as if you've obeyed the law your entire life. Isn't mm -hmm. that just an amazing concept? Yeah. We talked about this in the previous half hour, which was wonderful. So I love getting it uh, again, reminding all the listeners of this incredible truth.
So, Jeff, do you, I, you okay if we take our first break? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Uh, Jeff Redorn is my guest, and we'll take a short break. He'll be back in 90 seconds. today we're, we're talking about living by faith and jeff i had a, a listener just chime in right before we went to break saying um that you know the passage in john 1 12 but as many as received him to them he gave the power to become the sons of god and she also said even the devils believe and tremble so i think what she might be suggesting is you're saying that we must believe is maybe not enough i hope i have that right yeah, I know. I've uh, I've heard this before. And look, the the we're going to get to this later, but let's do it right now. The the word believe pastuyo mm-hmm. has two components in it, and you need both of these components, the fullness of the word pastuyo, in order to be saved. The first part of the definition of pastuyo is to believe something is true. Okay. The second part of the definition of pastuyo is to entrust and specifically to entrust for salvation. So do the demons believe? Now, remember in that passage there in in James, I think it's in James, where it says even the demons believe that there's one God, right? Mm -hmm. Do the demons know and believe it to be true that there's one God? And the answer is, well, of course they do. Mm -hmm. They live in the spirit world. They know who God is. Remember when the demons went to Jesus? We know who you are, son of the most high God, (laughs) right? You you know, they know who he is. Mm -hmm. They believe it to be true. But can demons entrust for salvation? The second part of the definition of this, the fullness of this word pistuio, to mm-hmm. believe. And the answer is, of course not. Right. Jesus came as a man. He came like his brethren. He was made like them in every way except was without sin. And now he offers salvation to men. And whosoever believes will be saved. If it took more than simple faith to be saved, well, then when the jailer asked that question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, then there would have been a much longer answer than pastuyo in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Mm. I mean, that's what John 3.16 says, right? I mean, the most famous passage of the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that whoever believes in him, whosoever pastuyos in him, shall not perish, mm-hmm. but have eternal life. That's why understanding the Greek is really important, isn't it? You know, sometimes it adds uh, clarity to uh, otherwise maybe some not clear passages in the Bible. So mm-hmm. one of the first things I do in a difficult passage is to, hey, let's start looking up some of the Greek words in this passage and and see if... The translators in the English captured the true meaning of the Greek because sometimes, just a few times here and there, it doesn't quite capture the fullness of the truth. And I'm not a Greek expert, by the way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I hope that answered her question. I, I, I hope it did too. 
So we were talking about the law and that we're not under the law. So you might ask, well, wait a minute. What Then what's the law used for today? Who is the law for today, right? And it's, it's fascinating because actually Paul tells us in First in Timothy, he says, we know that the law is made not for the righteous, not for us, but for the law breakers. The law, the purpose of the law, our use for the law today in the age of grace is for the lawbreakers. Why? Because Galatians says the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. If you don't have the law, then you don't know you're a lawbreaker. You don't know that you are sin and sinful people and that you need forgiveness of your sin, that you need a savior. So the law's purpose today is to point out your sin and your need for forgiveness and a savior. So that's the purpose of the law today. All right, faith. So let's turn to the Bible first and see how, if God defines this term for us Mm -hmm. a little bit. And I go right to the faith chapter, actually, which is Hebrews 11. And verse 1 says this and gives us a great definition of faith. I have a little plaque or framed little plaque on my desk, and this is the verse that's on it. It says this, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And you think, okay, so just live by that definition of faith. But I got to ask, does that really help us live by faith? I kind of now see what faith is maybe a little bit more, but I still don't know if I understand the practical realities. Okay, so, but wait a minute. What does it mean to really live by faith? So I thought I'd do it this way here. What is not faith? What are the things that are described in scripture that aren't they faith or what is the opposite of faith or even Jesus admonishes some people for having little faith. Remember those stories a couple times in scripture, Mm -hmm. he says that. So what is faith not? Well, faith is not blind faith. We hear this all the time. Well, I don't know how you can just have blind faith or or a leap of faith or a leap of faith in the dark. I mean, last thing you want to do when you're standing in a dark room is take a giant leap, right? (laughs) None of these are biblical faith. God says, come, let us reason together. And I think believing is a rational, reasonable conclusion. Having faith is a rational conclusion to the evidence that is presented, right? In fact, there is a, there's a, Josh McDowell wrote a famous book in Christianity, Evidence that demands a verdict. I highly recommend it. It gives all the evidence that this person named Jesus lived in the first century. He was God in the flesh. He died on the cross and he rose again. And our most rational conclusion that we can come to is that he was God in the flesh and died and rose again. So our faith, first of all, is not blind. It's not some kind of uh, leap of faith or a leap in the dark. Um, That is not what faith is. Faith is also not opposite to science and reason. I hear this all the time. Well, no, I'm a scientist, so I can't have faith. It, it's They are not opposites. Uh, my friend Brian DeVries, who you have on the show, he runs Search Ministries here in town. He actually has several uh, whole entire courses that describe how faith is, a, uh, is not in conflict with true science. 
Faith is also not a feeling. Um, I was reading one commentator in prep for this, and he said this. He says, there are times after the summer evening when I didn't feel God's love. Now, I could choose to dwell on that feeling, letting it carry me into a state of self-pity. Or I could say this, Lord, I don't feel loved today. That is true. That is where I'm at right now. But Lord, your word says that you do, in fact, love me. I like that. I do too. Because what it says is that our faith is not based on how we happen to be feeling about God at that moment. I'm, all of us experience times where we don't feel loved. We don't feel close to God. Mm-hmm. But I want you to know if you are in Christ Jesus, the word says, God says you're united with him. You're, you're his child. You're God's possession. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's given you the Holy Spirit forever. You're a new creation. You're born again. You're born of God. Nothing in all creation can separate you from his love in Christ Jesus. These are the facts of Scripture, the promises of God in Scripture that describe you. You may not feel all those things today, but just because you don't feel them doesn't mean they're not true. Does that make sense? That's such an important point. Uh, Jeff, because I I know that there are many people that have these down days where they just feel a little flat and a little bit frustrated and where's God and I don't feel a certain way and it it kind of torments them a little bit. So it's important reminder. And those things can feed on themselves, can't they? Oh yeah, they sure can. Then I become kind of a self-pity, this I'm worthless, I'm not worth any, but nobody likes me. And it's like, no. You're a child of the Most High God. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think because we're getting up close to the bottom of the hour here, Jeff, um, we're going to probably need to not jump into something uh, until we come back from break. Um, but this is uh, a wonderful study and a great reminder. I, I just love this last point we made about your feelings because feelings are obviously a lot of who we are, but the Word of God and the truth that comes from it is what we need to listen to and focus our and fix our eyes on. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we come back, I want to point out that faith is also not having faith in yourself. And maybe this is kind of the, a little bit the, the twin of not having feelings or not letting feelings drive how you are, but having facts do. But the other point is not having faith in yourself. So that's what we'll do when we get back. Awesome. All right. Jeff Redorn's my guest. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back with lots more.
Blessings to you this afternoon. I hope uh, you are having a, a good day. I hope your workday went well. And as we head towards the evening now, it's awfully nice to be reflecting on the truths of Scripture, walking and living by faith. We're doing that today with Jeff Redorn. And uh, Jeff, so far, fantastic uh, uh, journey you're taking us on with this. It's always uh, exciting to to be reminded of the promises of Scripture. Mm. Yeah, in fact, that's where we're going to go is really to the promises of Scripture, which is really what living by faith is kind of all about. So, But we're talking about what it's not right now. So it's not, faith is is not faith, a blind faith. It's not a leap of faith. It's not contrary to science and reason. Faith is not a feeling. And faith, here's my next one, is not having faith in yourself. Okay, so why do I say this? Do you remember the story of Peter walking on water? Mm -hmm. What an amazing story, right? So they're out in the boat. Jesus comes walking out. They're afraid. Oh, the ghost is coming, you know? Someone's walking on water. I guess, you know, it's going to startle you a little bit. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. And so he does. And Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking on the water. But then verse 30 says this, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus replies, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and says, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Now, I remember watching a teaching on this, a video series And the teacher was describing this very moment, very powerfully, I might add. But he said, what went wrong here? He said that Peter lost faith in himself, that he didn't believe in himself enough. He didn't have enough faith in himself. And I remember thinking, really? (laughs) That was what Peter's problem was? I mean, to me... Bill, don't you think that's one of the big lies of the world? Oh, just believe in yourself and you can do anything. Mm-hmm. Believing in yourself doesn't get you anywhere. In fact, actually, the Bible, the fundamental, one of the fundamental teachings about Christianity is not believing in ourselves. Rather, it's denying yourself, right? <laughs> Picking up your cross and following mm-hmm. him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How about that? Exactly. Yeah. That's perfect. So I think he, look, there's another story. Let's do the next story because there's another place where Jesus says, um, ye of little faith. And that's when they were in the boat crossing the, the, the sea and the storms come up. You, you, we all remember this story, right? The storms come up and the disciples wake up. Our disciples are trying to wake up Jesus. Jesus is actually asleep in the back of the boat. And they say, Lord, save us. We're all going to drown. And he replies again with this same Same word. It's actually a Greek word. You of little faith. Why are you so afraid? And he gets up and he rebukes the wind and rebukes the wave. And it became completely calm, scripture says. And the men were amazed. And they ask, quote, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Well, what do we see here? Well, first, I think we see that fear is kind of the opposite of faith, isn't it? Doubt and fear, which is what he's admonishing them for, 
is kind of the opposite of living by faith. So if you are in fear, if you are in doubt, know that you're on the other end of the scale, other end of the spectrum for where God wants you to be in true faith and trusting in him. But two, why? Why were they doubting? Why did they think they were drowned? They did not realize that the guy in the boat with them was the one who made the wind and made the waves. I love Psalm 107, 29 says this, of God, it says, he stills the storms to a whisper and the waves of the seas were hushed. This was about God. And now the man in the boat with them is the same God that calms the storm and the waves. It was God in the boat with them. Wow. So don't be afraid. Mm -hmm. What can the wind and the waves do to us when you have the creator of all things sitting in the boat with you? That's exactly, I remember another verse just came to my mind about Philip. Do you remember when Philip said, Lord, show us the father, that will be enough. And Jesus answers, oh, Philip, don't you know who I am? Even after all this time and all the miracles that I've done, how can you say, show us the father? I'm right here, Philip. (laughs) They didn't get that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why. Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. So what is faith? What, if, if we're going to live by faith, I think these two examples of, of Jesus admonishing, admonishing somebody for not having enough faith is really what's the picture? They didn't have enough um, understanding of who this guy was. That he was the creator, he was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. If we want to live by faith, we need to understand God. We need to know the Lord. And how do we do that? By studying his word. We need to understand his promises. How do we do that? By studying the word. We need to understand that God is faithful in all that he says and all that he promises. How do we know that? We study the word. I think if we want to grow in faith, if we want to live by faith, well, then we need to understand his nature, his character, and and his promises, what he has promised. And in a lot of ways, Bill, I actually think, I think Christians, I mean, we get some of the promises of God, and I want to mention a couple of those here. But I also think that people think God has promised certain things when he hasn't. And I think that can cause some problems too. Mm-hmm. But so first, let's let's go to the first category. What what are the promises to believers? Well, I mean, think about these. I mean, if you got a couple, just throw them out. But he promises that he loves you unconditionally, always. He promises that you're you're never going to be alone. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He promises that he hears all your prayers. He does hear you every time you speak to him. In fact, he knows your prayers before you even utter them, right? He, he, we know that he promises that he's working all things for good. I love that. Me too. He's working all things for good. He promises that, that he's giving you the Holy Spirit, that you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, that he's a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, that he will be your counselor and your teacher, and, you, and he will lead you. He promises that he's given you everything you need for life and godliness, everything, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Oh, my goodness. Wow. We have everything we need. Mm -hmm. 
Um, he, he promises that nothing can separate you from his love in Christ Jesus, nothing in all creation, as a matter of fact. He says that because he's began something in you, he will finish it, meaning your future inheritance and your future glorification, which is another promise. He promised that you would be uh, glorified, that you'd receive a glorified body, and you have this inheritance. You have eternal life. That's your inheritance. These are all the promises of God. Well, not all of them. I mean, we could probably go the whole hour talking about some of the promises to believers. But if we're going to understand those promises, we get those from his word. So we need to be diligent in our study and in our understanding of God's word. All right, second category. What about, it, let what? me jump in with one other thought here, Jeff, just because yeah. um, one of my sharper A student listeners named Luke said, one of my biggest breakthroughs in my faith was realizing that my faith is in Christ alone, not in how well I feel I'm believing it, which would be faith in myself. I trust the one who never changes. That is exactly right. I mean, that's a good summary of what we're trying to talk to in this mm -hmm. hour. Very good. Mm -hmm. okay, I like that a lot. Yep. So one of the other, so the second category is, well, do, do some Christians believe that God has promised something when he actually hasn't. And really, this is just a lack of understanding again, right? I think God has promised something, but he really hasn't. So God has not promised that you will not have trouble in this world. In fact, he's promised just the opposite. Mm -hmm. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus says, right? So when you have trouble, people tend to want to blame God or, oh, man, I must be under judgment of God or punishment of God. No, 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 no. No, we live in a fallen world. Bad things are going to happen. God has told us that. He has not promised that you won't get sick or that there will be no sickness or that there will be no death or that your loved ones won't get sick or your loved ones won't die. I mean, this is hard, but we live in a fallen world. There's evil in this world and people get sick and people die and there's crimes and there's murders and that's... That's just the fact of life, the fact of this world. The true promise of God is that he has promised to heal you of the greatest sickness and disease of all, and that is called sin and death, right? But not in the flesh, right? We have to get our glorified bodies to experience that eternal life. He has not promised personal wealth or success. Ooh, all right, so this is a big one. This is one of these where I know there's lots of teaching out there. It's kind of called generally the prosperity gospel or the name it and claim it movement or the word of faith movement or so on. But it's basically that if you have enough faith, you will be healthy and wealthy. And I just don't see it in scripture, Bill. I mm -hmm. don't see it at all. I think this is a bad teaching. And I think if, in fact, if you go to, uh, if you go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul basically gives this biography of his life, and he talks about being beaten with 40 lashes. He talks about being beaten by rods uh, three times. He was stoned once and left for dead. He was shipwrecked three times. He was in danger in the country, danger in the city, danger from his countrymen. He knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to be thirsty. This does not sound like a guy who's all prosperity, right? Mm -hmm, not at all. That was his life after he found Christ. 
fact, in Philippians 4, he says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any, in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I love that. I think we're going to take our last break. Jeff Redorn's my guest, and we're talking about living, walking by faith. We'll be right back. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're talking about living by faith. What does it mean to walk by faith? It's been an awesome hour so far. Jeff, we've got about 12 minutes left. I know there's more. Well, yeah, I think we should probably spend the last segment here. Um, let's go back to Hebrews 11. Okay. Which is kind of the faith chapter, right? Mm-hmm. So it lists off all these guys that live by faith. This is This is where we got our definition at the start of the hour. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So we see in Hebrews chapter 11 that by faith we understand that the universe was formed by God. By faith we see that Noah built an ark, right? God told him build an ark for a flood. He believed God, and so he started building an ark. By faith Abraham left his country to go to the promised land. God called Abram of Ur. Come, oh, leave your family and come to this promised land I'm going to give you. And he did it. By faith, Abraham believed God would give him a son. And he believed that promise. In fact, that's when it says, and Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. By faith, Moses left Egypt and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But I want to read later in the chapter. Listen to this. I'm in uh, Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Samson and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies, some fierce jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, persecuted and mistreated. Verse 38, I love this line. The world was not worthy of them. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Do you know what that's a reference to? Our future glorification. God has promised that no matter what happens to you in this world, you might even get struck down, but this world cannot touch you. It cannot destroy you, as Paul says, struck down, but not destroyed. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, sure of our future, our glorifications, right? Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Bill, I've read the back of the book. I've read all about this new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem, this city that is prepared for us. And at the end of the book, it says, and to him who overcomes, that's you, by the way, you and me and everybody who believes, you will inherit all this. We inherit the kingdom that God has prepared for us. We're sure of what we hope for. By the way, that's why I love to teach on the end times. I mean, we've done a lot of end time stuff over the years on your program. Mm -hmm. And I, I describe it this way. Faith, hope, and love, right? Paul says, and the greatest of these is love. And then I ask my class the question, why? Why is love the greatest? And I usually get various answers about God is love and love is the greatest and so on. All, all good, all right, but it doesn't get at what I'm asking. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. In eternity, when we are glorified and with God, Revelation 21 says, and then God will dwell with man. We will dwell with God in the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem for all of eternity. We are with him. Will we need faith? I don't believe so. We don't, right? Mm. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of things unseen. We mm. have to have faith now today, but in eternity, you know, as the song says, Horatio Spatford in the, in, the, in, the, in the old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, he says, And Lord, haste the day when faith shall be sight. So we won't need faith in eternity. We'll be living it, right? Awesome. The same goes with hope. Do we need hope in eternity? Not anymore. <laughs> no. In fact, Paul says uh, in Romans 8, he says, But who hopes for what he already has? You don't. You'll have it. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. We won't need hope in eternity. But you know what remains? Love remains. It's the greatest of the three because it remains for all eternity when faith and hope will be replaced by sight and having. And so I love to study the end times studying the time when we as Christians will no longer need faith and will no longer need hope in order to grow our faith and our hope in him right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I like that. <laughs> I do too. I do too. If, if we want to grow our faith and our hope, that is to me what living by faith is all about. If we understand and know what our inheritance is, what our future is, what has God promised to us? And the more we know that, and the more we understand that, the more the righteous can live by faith. So I'm hoping that by studying what faith isn't, by looking at some of the admonitions of, oh, you of little faith, and what Jesus kind of admonished his disciples for not having enough of, uh, basically living in fear and doubt and so on. And then looking at what is the essence of faith, of looking ahead and being sure of it. And the reason I'm sure of it is because not because I have some, you know, I don't know, arrogantly believe in 
you know, what my future is. No, it's because God has promised it, and I believe God. When it comes to telling the future, God is batting a thousand. He's never wrong. Everything that God said that's going to happen has happened. And so when he says that we're his possessions and that we will have the Holy Spirit and he'll live with us, be with us forever, and that having begun a good work in us, he will complete it, and that our salvation is kept in heaven for us, sealed it by his power, not by our own power, until the day of Christ Jesus, well, you know what? I believe him. And so at the end of 1 John, he writes, I write these things to those of you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life, because God has promised it. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. Cool. Mm, very, very cool. So, do you, did you ever think about when Jesus is saying to, you know, to Peter or to, you know, Philip, you know, ye of little faith, have you ever wondered what his tone was? <laughs> you mean, was it uh, like a condemning tone well, or a was instructive con- tone? Yeah, or- I mean, I don't think it was condemning tone. I don't think that would have been his his position. I think it was, was it an encouraging tone? Was it a, you need more help tone? What do you think it was? I mean, I'm usually maybe, very, yeah, I'm usually very careful of not call it condemning because I don't think he was condemning. Oh, I don't think he was either. Yeah. I usually call it maybe an admonition mm-hmm. um, because that sounds gentler, but I think it was instructive. Like, oh man, guys, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> One of those. I think there might be a been a, a little bit of that. Oh, guys, come on! Don't you know me, Philip? Yeah. You know you can kind of hear it. Maybe a hint of disappointment with a full measure of, you know, instruction. How mm-hmm. about that? Well, I like that. And and you know, does he look at us with disappointment? I hope not. When when we have little faith. No, because there's not therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Remember yeah. when he spoke these words, they were not born again, sealed with the Spirit, um, you know, New Testament believers at the time. Remember Jesus, you always have to understand the Gospels because Jesus came under the law, lived under the law, died under the law, taught to those under the law. And so we kind of have to understand it in that context. I think now that we've been united with Christ, that we've been made holy and perfect, he purifies for himself a people that he calls their very own. We're saints of the Most High. Saints, hagios, the Greek hagios, which means holy, blameless in his sight. So I don't I don't think, I don't see in Scripture anywhere that once you're a New Testament believer, any passage where God shows any kind of even subtle disappointment, only pleasure that we are now participants in the kingdom of God and children of his. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? It does. And I love that you pointed out the end of chapter 11 in Hebrews, starting in verse 38, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes of the, in the ground. <laughs> oh, Incredible. I know it. And killed and persecuted. Yep. And that's why that body says... Two? Excuse me? Oh, <laughs> I should have brought that up so close to dinner, but you know, there, there you know. go. There I go. All right, Jeff, uh, it's been wonderful. Again, I appreciate your teaching. Got another nice comment uh, from a listener that uh, felt the same way about you. Um, said, um, love listening to Jeff Ferdorn. I learned so much and love it. Would you repeat this program with this guest? My answer is yes, I will. Hmm. And if you uh, 
would like to go to our website, to MyFaithRadio.com and the Afternoon with Bill show page, everything that you hear on the show is right there and will stay there for a long time. So you can just head right over that, check it out. If you're just listening to Faith Radio for the first time, or maybe you're just getting to know us and you want us to send you out a welcome packet, you can go to our webpage, MyFaithRadio.com, and we'll send you some stuff so you can know us a little bit better. But we love spending time with you. We love teaching and training and discipling and encouraging and just being part of your day. And Jeff, I just want to thank you for being A, my friend, and B, such an amazing guest. People do love you. Bill, it's always a pleasure to be on. I just, uh, I love your show. You got the happiest music and radio. I told you over the break. I agree with that. And, uh, you bless <laughs> many, many people through your oh, program. Thank so you thank so you. Much. Yeah, have a great uh, rest of the evening. Blessings to you and your family. And uh, I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Bill. Yep, that wraps up our show for the day. Again, I just love spending this time with you, and I hope you learned a lot today. I did, and I can't wait to uh, go review some notes. If you caught uh, any of uh, Greg Borgon's uh, episode, you he's got a chart. Just email me, Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. Just put Greg's chart in the subject line. I'll get it to you. It's a wonderful chart. And that uh, is all until tomorrow. Uh, Dr. Marcus Bachman will be joining me as well as David Wheaton. That's all coming up tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.